This is Here's How, Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast, presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading episode 22 of Here's How. Eona Reardon, the Minister of State for the National Drug Strategy, has talked about decriminalisation and injection rooms. In this podcast, I'll talk to a doctor specialising in treating addiction. Here's How is Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast. Make your view heard. Just dial 076 603 5060 and tell the world what you're thinking. Your voicemail may be included in the next podcast. You can find tips on recording your contribution and other ways to contact the show at hereshow.ie slash call. There is a contradiction in what the left in Ireland is saying at the moment. Well, maybe there's lots of contradictions, but I'm concerned with one in particular. It comes up whenever there's a criticism made of public sector workers. It's common to hear, particularly from the right-wing press, that the very high rates of pay and pensions and other generous working conditions are a drain on the economy to the extent that they are unjust to the five-sixths of the workforce that don't have those benefits. Teachers are a particular target for this with very generous salaries, very generous holidays, very generous pensions, and no chance of being fired regardless how well or badly they do their job. I think that there are problems with that narrative, in particular that it seems to be a tactic to distract from other injustices. But it's a tactic that works, partly because many people on the left are foolish enough to take the bait. The standard left-wing defence, particularly from the trade unions, is to say that teachers deserve the exceptional pay and conditions that they get because they've campaigned, lobbied and struck for them and used all the soft and hard power of labour at their disposal to maintain and increase them. Some of the responses from trade unionists seem to border on victim-blaming. Workers in the private sector, who are generally not in unions, should take a leaf from public sector workers and join, with the implication, sometimes explicitly stated, that the reason pay and conditions are worse in the public sector is because the workers are not unionised. To take the first point, does that argument apply equally for all? Are, say, solicitors entitled in the same way to the fruits of the power that they wield? I mention solicitors in particular because that power is quite visible. They, like teachers, are a group massively overrepresented in the doll. How about senior bankers? Property developers? Do they automatically deserve the fruits of the power they have just because they have that power to extract those fruits? Workers who have poor pay and conditions are not generally suffering them because they won't join a union to fight for their rights. They have them because power is very unevenly distributed in Ireland, and many of the people with power use it to feather their own nests rather than for the greater good. The proper role of government is to mediate the interests of society, and to ensure that the less powerful do not have their rights trampled on. Yielding to every powerful lobby group is a betrayal of society, 
and bad for the country as a whole, since inequality is strongly linked to poor national performance, and even the winners in an unequal society do worse than if they lived in a prosperous, more equal society. I'm certainly not suggesting that teachers are the worst offenders, they're not, and I believe that teachers should be well paid and that we should have high expectations of them. I don't have an issue with them campaigning for their interests, but it is the job of the government to stand up to them when those interests are harmful to society as a whole. A clear example of this is the exceptionally short school year that we have. There is clear research which shows that long school holidays are harmful to children's education and particularly harmful in the case of less advantaged children. But teachers lobby hard to prevent changing the school year. Fruit and vegetable sellers in Moore Street are self-employed business people. The top bankers who ruined the Irish economy are employees on a wage. Power and privilege don't always fit the Marxist model of labour and employer. Many groups in Ireland have disproportionate advantage because they're powerful and that power is self-sustaining. Financially, our economy is hampered because legal services, housing, transport and other items are so expensive. And we pay higher taxes to fund bailouts and inflated wages in many areas. Socially, many people are denied justice, live in isolated substandard accommodation, suffer long commutes and receive an inadequate education. Every vested interest tries to dress up its self-protection as some sort of social good or social justice. All of them should be confronted. Do you agree? Do you disagree? If you want your point of view heard, dial 076-603-5060 and leave a contribution for the show. The lines are open 24-7 and you can find tips on how to record a good contribution and other ways to contact the podcast at hereshow.ie slash call. Dr. Garrett McGovern is a GP specialising in alcohol and substance abuse. He works with the Priority Medical Clinic and he's on a Skype line with me now. Um, Garrett, Aon O'Reardon, the uh, minister, was in the news uh, recently talking about supervised injecting rooms for heroin addicts. Um, for someone who doesn't know what that is, could you give us a, maybe a description of, of what that would entail? Well, supervised injecting rooms are essentially rooms where drug users, usually heroin users, will bring their drugs, illegal drugs, they're not being given the drugs in the injecting site, mm-hmm. and they bring their drugs in and they're provided with um, safe uh, equipment and facilities in order to inject those drugs. And the facilities would be if you're looking at, say, the, the models internationally, Sydney being a, a, a good example, mm-hmm. they're usually staffed by nurses, possibly social workers, doctors, people basically who have experience of treating drug users would be in, with great, great deal of experience, would be in these facilities and they would be able to provide guidance for people who come to use them. So they're really in a sterile env- environment for people to use drugs, to take them off the street and to take that visibility off the street, the very part that a lot of people, a lot of the community are worried about. Um, so so is, if we were to say the benefits of that, is it only an optical benefit for the people who aren't drug users who don't want to see junkies on the street or is there a benefit for the users themselves? 
Well, I think there are benefits all around. There's no doubt about it that if you have uh, injecting facilities, you you are potentially taking this off the street. That doesn't mean it, they're not going to be obligatory. So it's not going to be against the law to use on the street. It's just to give people the opportunity to uh, use the drugs in a safe environment. So if that works, then sure, there's going to be less uh, paraphernalia lying around the place. There's going to be less of a visibility to the public of these um, of these problems. And um, plus, the the other aspect is that these 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 needles left lying around the place in lanes and stuff are a public health hazard. You know, they may contain viruses, particularly hepatitis C, which is quite a durable virus. Um, and there is the potential for people to be harmed by paraphernalia just lying around the place. The benefit for the person who uses the drugs is, uh, and there are many, um, one is to reduce the stigma. So there is actually a state-funded centre for them to go and use their drugs. So there's a legitimacy to that, which is is not the case in street drug taking. Um, there is also the opportunity for public health information, information about drugs, information perhaps about people who who may not be already engaged in conventional treatment services. So I'm talking about drug treatment services, methadone maintenance treatment. It might give them the opportunity to think and um, think about maybe uh, engaging in those treatment services. And also there is a, the most important, one of the most important things of these centres is a real opportunity to intervene in somebody who has an overdose. Because when an overdose happens, unfortunately, people usually are afraid particularly drug users, to call the guards for fear of uh, the law coming down on them. And uh, the intervention that they need, and it's often an acute intervention, things like Narcan or Naloxone, um, can be given there on site. It's licensed to be used on site in these. So there is a life-saving uh, infra- intervention potential of these centres. One of the things you mentioned there uh, is to reduce the stigma on uh, drug users, and we're talking mostly about heroin users here, I guess. Mm. Um, are you sure that's a good idea? Well, I don't think stigma is good in any... Um, I think what you're getting at is if you reduce the stigma, um, perhaps maybe you reduce the acceptability of drug taking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I've seen many, much stuff on this. I don't think there's any good thing about stigma. I mean, there are a number of marginalised groups in our society who are, which are stigmatised and you can't say that stigmatising them is good. I'm talking about people um, who have HIV, people mm-hmm. who are uh, who, who are gay, uh, people um, you know who have an awful lot of disabilities basically that, that the public just don't seem to accept. And I don't think stigmatising anybody uh, is is good. So I don't I don't see it as a as a negative to. I don't think it's going to enable people using drugs. It's merely designed to improve the current situation, which is there are an awful lot more overdose deaths in Ireland, particularly relative to the rest of Europe, or third, probably third highest. And that is a real concern. That that isn't going to be solved. Is that an artifact? Is that an artifact of higher heroin use, or the way in which it's used? No, I think there's a number of reasons for it. Uh, nobody's quite sure why the reason, you know, the, the, nobody can say to any great degree. But I think one of the reasons is is that um, is is the treatment for heroin users in this country is the coverage isn't great. It's good in okay. Dublin, well, let me, not let outside me, Dublin. Let me, in that case, um, 
tackle exactly what might happen in a uh, in an injecting room first of all would you envisage that there'd be small would there be lots of them dotted around the city or would you have a few and and would you be able to uh, obviously it's not your area of expertise but mm. if there were many it might be a challenge to get uh, local communities to accept them but um, Gronya Kenny, uh, who's the honorary president of URAD, which is an anti-drugs campaigning organization, she made the point when she was on the podcast a few months back that heroin users are highly impulsive. They're not going to go across half the city. Once they get their heroin, they're going to inject it right away. Isn't that the case? Well, I think, first of all, we, we don't know what's going to happen because we don't have them yet. So I think we, we, we need to be a bit guarded about what happens when uh, supervised injecting centres arrive. So What's, we, what's the experience in Sydney? The experience in Sydney is I mean, they've been there for, what, 20 years, I think, um, uh, has been very, very positive. Um, it, the, the community uh, have embraced them, actually. The business communities have embraced them. There are always going to be people who are fairly hardened against it. Um, but by and large, it's been a positive experience. And, and the other experience is that people use them. They do use them because they've become normalized. They, 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 they do attract drug users to come in. So I don't accept the point. I don't, certainly don't think there's any evidence that when you set up a supervised injection room, people won't use them. I think people do use them. I think the evidence suggests, I think there are 10, um, countries, uh, around half these centers. There's nearly a hundred, I think. Um, and the experience from those centres, and there's been many evaluations of them, is that people do use them and they do get benefit from them. Okay. W- one thing that strikes me is that um, the person would essentially have some sort of immunity from the law of being prosecuted for possessing heroin while they're in the actual um, injecting room and perhaps on their way there. Uh, but heroin in, under this plan from Aon Oriadon would still remain just as illegal as ever. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the law in Sydney, when they had to change the law, the way they operated it was um, that uh, the drug was still criminalised outside the injecting centre, but once they walked into the injecting centre with the drug, with the purpose of using it in the injecting centre, it wasn't illegal. I think that's the way they operated it over there. But I think it dovetails nicely over here with Minister O'Riordan's plans to decriminalise all drugs for personal use. I think that's his plan. Um, so probably that piece of legislation would probably work better, better with this. If, if you were able to put the two things in together, open up the in, injecting room and have the law so that people are not going to be suddenly, you know, uh, targeted outside the injecting room, uh, before they get there. I don't, I don't, that's, that's going to be counterproductive. Um, you made another point there. Um, what was it? You made some other point about, uh, the people who, uh, are on their way to the uh, injection clinic are essentially immune from being prosecuted for possessing heroin, but in the wider world, it's still as illegal as ever. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, you know, it, they, they have to change the law on this. I mean, that's what they've been working on in order to make sure that we're going to attract people. Because if we're going to have a situation where people on the way to injecting rooms are going to be targeted um, and arrested, then all you're going to get is people not bothering to go anywhere near an injecting room. And what they'll end up doing is still injecting the streets or in their homes or wherever they inject. So we have to make this practical as well as as, as workable and acceptable. And I, I, I do take the point that a lot of people you know, believe that maybe this will enable drug use, maybe this will be, I've heard of, you may have read about the honeypot effect, um, you know, whereby we now have an injecting centres that are going to uh, encourage dealers. dealers and stuff like that. 
Again, I can only look at the, the evidence from other jurisdictions. That doesn't seem to be the case. There doesn't seem to be any evidence that a honeypot effect uh, happens. So, I, I don't, you know, a lot of people then will say, well, in the Irish context, a lot of people kind of look on Ireland as being some different country to, to other, other countries. I think we can put all the barriers in place, but I suppose in the end of the day, we've got to say to ourselves, are we happy the way things are at the moment? And you will have seen in the media in the last few days, there's a lot of stuff around... Uh, Minister Reardon took a trip around, uh, I think the north inner city, uh, around some lanes, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and saw, you know, pretty firsthand what actually is happening, that people are injecting in the street. And he also said, you know, not only are they injecting and leaving their paraphernalia behind, but they're also defecating in, in, in the street. I mean, they may not be, but nobody's quite sure whether the person who defecated is the same person who took drugs. But I, it, I think we can be fairly sure that it doesn't make a very pleasant urban environment. It, it doesn't, not at all. And I think we have to be a little bit more ambitious um, and a little bit mo- moving with the times to try and make things better. I, I have my own you know, friends of mine who are very, very vocal in thinking it's a terrible idea and it's awful and, and what's it going to do with all the businesses. This isn't a, a sort of a snap trigger reaction to in some way... Um, you know, appease drug users. That's really not the, the main focus of this. This, the main focus of this is to try and clean up the city in some way. There are a lot of well, other well, issues within the city. I, I can understand that. And, uh, as you say, Eona Reardon was, I think, perhaps, perhaps, um, attracting a bit of publicity to the, to the, um, the way in that it, it degrades the city centre. But from a medical point of view, um, do, you said that there would be intervention, for example, in the case of an overdose, if people uh, were close by, uh, medical staff could could uh, call an ambulance or whatever and, and uh, give medical assistance. Do you think maybe that you're helping out the drug dealers because you're keeping their clients alive and using? No, I think if anybody is in need of medical attention, they should be able to get it. I don't think we should discriminate who needs medical attention and who doesn't. Um, I mean, we could, could be, you know, we could that that, that argument could, you know, uh, transgress into other things like paedophiles. Do we bring them well, back what, to life? Well, what, I'm, yeah, what, what, what I'm thinking of is the kind of the balance effect. Clearly, drug dealer, uh, drug users will be less likely to die. They would also be less likely, uh, or they would be more likely to come into contact with. Um, you know, addiction services like yourself, they can be uh, offered uh, various um, programs to get off heroin. I'm just wondering, would the yeah. net effect be of having more or fewer heroin addicts out there? No, I don't think so. I mean, the, the, the number of heroin addicts in this country is probably fairly static. The problem we have is that a lot of the, uh, you know, evaluations around heroin addicts are in the city centre. There's a huge problem around the country. It could be argued that maybe... Uh, you know, if we're going to open supervised injecting centres, we need to look probably beyond beyond Dublin because uh, there are potential HIV epidemics among drug users waiting to happen. There was a recent uh, upspike in HIV transmission, which seemed to come from the same cohort. Now, that's a reflection of poor treatment practices, either absent treatment or not available treatment. So things like good needle exchange, good information, reduced stigma, low threshold services and ready access to treatment. Um, in terms of drug dealers, drug dealers, it won't make any difference. Heroin isn't going to go away. There's going to be plenty of uh, drug dealers. There's going to be plenty of people for them to sell their drugs to. It, the wider argument, I suppose, is should we be looking at things like supervised injecting or consumption rooms with the uh, giving people heroin? 
I'm really interested in that because it seems to me that, and I know your specialty is medicine and not economics, but a heroin user is basically a walking cash machine for a dealer. He uh, either begs or borrows or steals money uh, in order to get the heroin that's then passed on to the, the money is then passed on to the dealer. Mm. If you uh, provide free heroin to people who are heroin addicts, now I'm not suggesting that you can kind of just go in for the crack or whatever. Mm. It's somebody who's been medically assessed by somebody yeah. like yourself and is known to be a heroin addict, and if they're not willing to go into a detox program, they will be supplied with free heroin in a supervised environment. Wouldn't that collapse the market for the drug dealers and take away their incentive to get somebody addicted to heroin in the first place? Absolutely, it has the potential to do that. The problem you always have with regulation, and we'll encounter this if we ever get to a situation in this country with regulation. If anybody knows the way drug markets work, is in order to dent a drug market, you have to significantly reduce the availability of street drugs. In other words, people are more likely to get it from a state-funded place than go on the street and buy it. If you have this that is too high threshold for people to use or people... Are still don't really want to go in to inject in that way, well, then it won't. If, on the other hand, it is something that becomes again more acceptable and more, more acceptable to drug users who really want to get better and are sick of using heroin of dubious quality, and you have to remember as well, not only is it heroin of dubious quality, they're going to have to pay for this. And worse still, often they don't pay for it uh, directly. They pay for it in other ways or they have drug deaths. And I mean, I work in areas of the city where drug deaths have had, as you can imagine, fatal consequences. So I absolutely take your point. There is, if it was, if it was done properly, it could considerably dent the illicit market for the sale of heroin. Yeah. Sure. I'm, and essentially what I'm doing is suggesting that you take away the incentive to be a drug dealer because you know that what happened previously that once you get somebody addicted they're coming back a couple of times a day for a hit of heroin Mm. uh, that you know that once they're addicted they can get heroin for free from an injecting clinic yeah Um, wouldn't that that actually have the hope of achieving you know what seems to be a golden grail of just not having street heroin around it would and it'd have another function well in the sense that um, if they were using heroin uh, if they were getting heroin on prescription they would be getting real heroin now mm-hmm. the dose would have to be determined etc etc but they would be getting real heroin right and if you ask any drug dealer about heroin on the streets of dublin it sometimes varies you often hear about very strong heroin coming in we see patients coming to us with abscesses in their arms and uh, clots in their leg and infections and all that sort of stuff um, and, and this really sort of rules that out. The, the, the people, from the experience of like the riot trial, which is done by Professor John Strang in the UK and in places like uh, the Netherlands and Switzerland, um, the experience is that these places actually are, are very well run and the patients do well. They measure them on a, on a wide range of outcomes. And one of the things you don't seem to see is you don't seem to see the carnage that's associated with uh, illicit drug use on the street. That sort of chaos is taken out of it. Dr. Garrett McGovern from Priority Medical Clinic, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you, William. Make your view heard. Dial 076-603-5060 and leave a contribution for the show. You can find tips on how to record a good contribution and other ways to contact the podcast at hereshow.ie slash call.
That's almost the end of episode 22 of Here's How, Ireland's political, social and current affairs podcast, published on the 8th of December 2015. References for everything that I mention in the show are listed in this episode's page on the hereshow.ie website. If you can think of a topic or want to suggest someone to include, and that could be you, then let me know. If you like the podcast, please go on iTunes and write a nice review. Also, please like the show on Facebook, please follow at Here's How Podcast on Twitter, and of course, subscribe to the show. You can use iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or any other podcast app or software. You can do all of that, or get in touch with the show right from www.hereshow.ie. Or you could just go out and tell all your friends how great the podcast is. The next show will be uploaded shortly. The Here's How podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening. Music